sure if they will. All right, so last week we actually started to look at six of the antithetical statements that are made by our Lord in what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And we began by looking at Jesus is basically teaching on, reiterating on the sixth commandment that thou shalt not murder. And it's obvious to conclude from Scripture that, in fact, murder is a sin. Yes, that's a no-brainer. Because uh, when we carry out something like that, we not only offend God, sin against God, but we sin against somebody who is made in his image. But as we came to festering anger in our heart is as murder before the eyes of God, that we're not to fester any kind of that anger or entertain that anger or let it turn into bitterness and, and, and sin against another human being. Because in God's eyes, it's the same as taking their life. And this is a challenge for us as Christians because anger is a human emotion, is it not? And it can be stirred up fairly easily. But unless, uh, what we have to do is bring it under the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word so that it doesn't well up, it doesn't fester, and it doesn't turn into a bitter attitude. And again, last week I said this, that salvation is easy. Jesus did all the work, yes? And we believe by faith into this redemptive work. But sanctification is work. We have to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We have to be in the word, yield ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit, and work this out. And it's a continual process. And why? Because what we're doing is subduing that which is natural to us, natural to the flesh. So we have to bring the flesh under the power of the Holy Spirit through application of his word. And now as we progress this morning in our study on the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to look at the second antithetical statement by Jesus that is, listen carefully, address another raw human emotion that is rooted in the gift, listen to me, the gift of sexuality that has been given to us by God, and it's something wonderful. And it's wonderful in the fact because it's the deepest form of intimacy that can be shared between them. Yes? But as we'll see, there are parameters to this gift. And it's to be used according to the Lord's parameters, the Lord's commandments and principles, and within his realm of how it is to be shared. And look, it's a gift. Is I could love my kid and give him a Mustang. And a young kid, what's he going to want to do? He's going to want to use that Mustang in a way that is like, you know, racing. But I've given it to him as transportation. So he can use that gift appropriately to get him back and forth or he can give in to his urges and race that car and face the consequences, whether it be an accident or a speeding ticket, etc. right? So hopefully that's a decent analogy. So this morning's teaching will be on how can we protect this wonderful gift that God's given us, the constraints in which the Lord has instructed us to enjoy this gift, and how it has been tainted by the effects of our sin nature and man's fallen nature in this area. So with that said, please open up to Matthew 5. Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 to 30. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who even looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Again, in his opening statement, Jesus states, You have heard it said, but now I tell you. And here again we see the Son of God dealing with a very intricate 
subject that is common to every human being. He strikes at the heart of every human being because he's not only going to expound on the act itself, but he's going to look into the heart where lust and immorality festers. And that's where it has to be dealt with at the heart level. Do you hear me? All right, so let's begin with the obvious uh, standard definition of, of adultery. And adultery is this. It's defined as the voluntary, voluntary, um, sorry, voluntary sexual act between a married person and someone who's not married. So it can be a married person going to an unmarried or an unmarried person going to a married person. Either way, it's considered adultery. Christian, the simple fact it's very easy to understand and comprehend is that there needs to be fidelity within the marriage covenant, period. Got it? There's no wiggle room according to God's word. There is no wiggle room. All right? It's a no-brainer. And we could uh, beat this like a dead horse and go over scripture after scripture, but let me just give you a couple of scriptures that give you the mindset of God. First of all, it's one of the big ten, right? Exodus 20:14. You shall not commit adultery. Simple. Yes. And then in the Ten Commandments, it goes on to give us a little more reflection on this in verse 17 that says this, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And to covet means to desire something or want something that you can't have. And if we look at Hebrews 13, 4, it says marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and, ready, all the sexually immoral. And we'll get to that. Again, the scriptures are very clear concerning adultery. But what now Jesus will do is go and he'll speak to the heart of the matter, where it's not just the physical act, but what's happening in the heart. And where he's saying, even the lust that wells up in the heart, if we entertain that, it's the same as adultery. And listen, it's the heart, because listen to what Matthew 5, 19 and 20a says. It says, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, False testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. May I uh, don this? Thank you. Touchy subject. All right. <clears throat> you see, it's not, it's not the woman. It's not even the glance, okay? But it, it's the wretchedness of the heart that when tweaked by the uh, sight, gives in to the look and starts to lustfully glare and desire that person in our heart or mind. So a person can pass by, that's not a problem. We may even find them to be attractive, but it's when we lustfully ogle. And I've gotten ahead of myself, all right? And when Jesus talks to this, he gives a definite narrative, a definite narrative, the lustful, and it talks about this. It's not just a passing glance, but it's when we focus our eyes on someone and begin to desire and think in our mind at that person. So it's not a prolonged look. I'm sorry, it is a prolonged look. All right, essential fixation that be con con uh, constituted as lustful ogling. You see, I'm stumbling over my words because I know this is a sensitive subject and I'm a little anxious about it. And we have to understand that in the original language, the word looks, when Jesus says you shall not look lustfully upon a woman, is a continual look. It's that second look, third look, stare. It's not just a passing glance, okay? The result is that it's entertained in our minds and we start to fantasize or imagine. This is far different from acknowledging a person's beauty. Can we not acknowledge the beauty of a garden? Yes, it's the same thing. We can acknowledge another person's beauty without lusting after them or desiring them. In reference to what we're speaking about this morning, though, it's when we focus on the person, and it takes on a central level that, in fact, we commit adultery in our hearts. 
And ladies, I have down here, this just isn't a sermon for men because our culture has changed and women are just as guilty as the thoughts and behavior as men are, okay? The gap is closing. Listen to some of these statistics on adultery, right? And I believe they are inaccurate because I believe they are underreported, okay? Everybody doesn't want to come out and say, yeah, I committed adultery. But listen to what this says. Survey shows that 22% of married men have committed an adulterous act at least once in their life. 14% of married women have said they've had affairs. And these are only ones who, who admitted to it. In the younger generation, these statistics are higher and they're closer between men and women because our younger generation, uh, where it used to be that women were more prudent, it's not like that anymore. The percentage of men and women who admit to having an affair with a co-worker is 36%. The percentage of men and women who said they had uh, infidelity on business trip is 36%. In the United States, 17% of all divorces, uh, divorces are based on an adulterous affair either by one or both partners. And 2 to 3% of all children being born are out of an adulterous relationship and they don't even know that that's not their father. Okay? And men are more likely to have a sexual affair, hashtag, as I said, commit adultery, regardless of whether or not that they're married or the other person is married. So the statistics are staggering. And you ready? Don't think because you're in the church. Listen to this. According to the subscribers of Christianity Today, 45% said that they had acted or interacted inappropriately, and 23% actually admitted to having uh, an affair or committing adultery. 23% is the same as the world in the church. So it's a problem in our society today. Is it because infidelity and adultery are no longer seen as sins against God or sins against another human being? Or is it a combination of those plus all the sociological factors that we see going on in our world today where it's just okay and it's not okay according to God's word? But for a moment, let's look at the various aspects of adultery and how it can happen at different levels to really get the bigger picture, if you will. The bigger picture. And let me begin with this, the more subtle. And it's what we could label emotional adultery, just as dangerous, where you may not carry out the physical act, but you allow yourself to become emotionally involved with somebody who is not your spouse because you're leaning on them to get what you feel your spouse isn't providing, all right? And it can be a neighbor, a gym mate, and the worst is the spouse's friend, which I don't know how many times, come on, teenagers, how many times, Stephen's laughing, how many times, right, you're going out with a girl, and all of a sudden, he's meeting with the girl's girlfriend. And it happens when people are married, too, all right? Whoever it is, if it's with anybody besides your spouse where you're looking for that emotional support that should be done in marriage, it's like an emotional adultery. What happens is you begin to become emotionally attached and transfer those intimate feelings towards someone else that are reserved for your husband or wife. And it can begin with a mere physical attraction. It can be um, just a casual acquaintance. You could be on the train every day with somebody and you start to build those conversations and if it just happens. The person begins to look for support from them that's not being provided for their spouse. And there can be numerous reasons. Numerous reasons. I just have a few. Dissatisfaction with the marriage. The flame of romance has dwindled. Yes. Feelings of rejection or being unappreciated. And what happens is you start to look to somebody else to fill that emotional void that's not being provided at home. And it's not good. It's dangerous. Family, we are emotional beings. It's part of our makeup. It's part of being created in God's image. 
He laughed. He joyed. He angered, right? So we have emotions. It's part of our makeup. But within the marriage, we are to encourage each other, build each other up, support one another, have that agape love. Men, we are to love our wives as Christ loved the church, and ladies, to love and respect our husbands. And when we do it God's way within that framework, it works. Amen? And one of those things within that framework is to look for the emotional and physical needs from your spouse and not somebody else. Period. And be very careful because human nature being what it is, once you get into that emotional attraction, I guarantee you sooner or later it's going to cross over into the physical. It's just the way we're built. You get attached to somebody and that can happen. So avoid these situations and guard your heart. The vows you made on, okay, we're not, and that's where your physical and emotional needs need to be met. Amen? And listen, if they are not, We rely on the power of the Holy Spirit, on His strength and God's Word and principles. We live by them. We don't live in the flesh. We live according to what God's Word says, and He's given us His Holy Spirit to be able to endure all things. Amen? We don't compromise. We don't sin because our physical needs, our emotional needs are not being met. We stand on the covenant vows we made before God and before men. And as I said at my son's wedding, I looked at him and I said, Robert, the vows you make to Catherine today, you keep no matter what she does. And I said the same thing to Catherine. The vows you make today, you keep no matter what he does. You and I are responsible individually before the Lord. Amen? Praise God. And I have down here, and I added it as I was studying, well, if we commit any acts like that, do you realize we're actually committing spiritual adultery because we're sinning against our bridegroom, our bridegroom? And husbands, let me explain something. And uh, here's where my wife kind of chuckled at me and said, you sure you want to say that? We're savages. We're dogs. We can have the biggest fight with our wife, but come that night, who cares? Right? <laughs> Hi, honey. Women aren't like that, guys, Okay. They're not, not so for our wives. In most cases, they're more sensitive than us. And if we're not loving them as Christ loved the church, if we're not meeting their physical and emotional needs, that door of intimacy is going to be slammed shut. (laughs) So it behooves you to love your wife as Christ loved the church, amen? To meet her physical needs, her emotional needs, so that door of intimacy stays wide open. Amen? Maybe that's a poor choice, but that's what I said. And listen... It isn't a quid pro quo. It's part of the marriage. Okay? It's part of the marriage. Amen? So love your wives as Christ loved the church. They're emotional beings. And now as we get into the physical realm, if you will, the physical act of adultery, it's obvious. It's obvious. It's when we're married or someone's married and engages in in sexual activity with an unmarried person or another married person. It's obvious. And listen, this is a hard thing. Sex is sex period. It doesn't matter any way, shape, or form it happens. It's sex, it's immorality, it's adultery, okay? So don't try to beat around the bush, if you will, and say, well, we are, uh, you know, like President Clinton. No, sex is sex, okay? And again, with that said, let's look at the precursor to the act, and this is what Jesus is addressing in this portion of Matthew that we're looking at this morning. This is where there's an elongated, lustful stare that stirs up sensuous thoughts and if entertained in in the mind it'll actually very clear sin is sin all right the active entertainment in our mind doesn't compare with the damage that the grievous action will do do you hear me 
All right? And let me explain to you why. If we entertain something in our mind, that's between us and God. We've sinned, and we have to go before the Lord, ask forgiveness, and that's between us and God. But when we go outside into the physical act, that drags somebody else into this. Do you hear me? First of all, it's a sin against your spouse or against another human being made in God's image. But what we're doing is dragging another person into our sin. And heaven forbid, heaven forbid that we do that. All righty? We, uh, we never want to be a willing party to dragging somebody else into sin. Yes, Christian? Do you hear me? The question we have to ask ourselves when it comes to adultery or any viol uh, violation of God's word is this. Do we want to be engaged in a sinful behavior or activity and trample underfoot the blood of Christ, the Savior who saved us? Yes? And in this case, do we want to heap sin upon sin? And what do I mean by that? Do we want to lure someone else into sin that could have temporal and eternal consequences? If we're married and you go with another married person, you could ruin the accountable before God. We don't want to be accountable to that or in part of that, do we? We're to be ambassadors of Christ and witnesses of his holiness, not the opposite. Heaven forbid that you or I should be an instrument for wickedness and cause another to stumble. The word talks about that. Better a large millstone be hung around our neck than we should cause one of these to stumble. And doesn't scripture say, don't do something that's going to cause your brother or sister to stumble? We're supposed to be girding people up to walk with the Lord, not luring them into something that's going to bring them into a sinful lifestyle or behavior. Yes? And listen to this. When we stand before the Lord, as I said before, it's going to be me and Jesus. It's going to be you and Jesus. And you can't sit there and go, well, Lord, she didn't meet my needs. No, Lord, he didn't meet my needs. You know what he's going to say? What about you? Did you obey my principles? Did you obey my commands? Because the excuse thing did not work in the garden, and it's not going to work at the judgment seat of Christ. Eve said, oh, Adam said, the woman you gave me. Eve said, the devil. And the Lord said, too bad, the judgment's coming. So we're going to be individually responsible when we stand before the Lord. Amen? Oh, my boy, church. Stand on it. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you're tempted, he'll provide a way out. It's we who give in to the temptation. God provides the way out. He gave us his word. He'll provide the way out. Don't give in to the temptation. Amen? Let me ask you. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you have the word of God at your disposal? Is God's grace 20, uh, available 24-7? And if you're a Christian... You answered yes to every one of those questions. So there's no way that we can't overcome the temptations that come our way. Amen? Praise the Lord. We have every tool available to overcome our flesh. Are we leaning on it? Are we leaning on it? And marriage, let me give you a portion of Scripture that I promise you is not self-serving, but I'll probably hear that it was. 1 Corinthians 7.2, listen to what it says. But because there is so much sexual immorality, is there not a lot of immorality in our nation? Ready? Each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Praise the Lord. And what I have down here, if you're full from your meal at home, you can pass a dozen restaurants and it may smell good, it may look good, but you're too full to do anything about it. 
And don't tell me about dessert, because dessert only makes you fat, all right? So be filled at home, and you won't want to look to the outside restaurant. I think you get the analogy, yes? And to finish up our discussion on adultery, let me use a good and bad example from Scripture. Always go back to the Word of God. Two guys, Joseph and David. One got it, and one blew it, all right? Listen to uh, Joseph's story, Genesis 39, 6-10. Joseph was well-built and handsome. This is a good-looking young man, all right? And after a while, this master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns is entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against who? Against God. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. He understood the sin was first against God. And I want you to notice what he did here. He avoided being with her. So he avoided the temptation. He avoided the lure. A very wise thing to do, which is another part of the message, that we avoid those areas where temptation lures. And listen, he could have went a whole different direction. Man, they th- brothers hated me. They sold me into slavery. This guy's working me. I'm making him prosper. I get nothing in return. And he could have said, why not? He's young. He's about 20 years old at this point. Why not? But he didn't because he looked to where first? The principles of God, that it would be a sin against God. And were there consequences? Sure there were. She accused him of rape. He ends up in the prison, but... Joseph, still being faithful, didn't realize that God was going to use that to lift him to second in command to Pharaoh and save his family. Through his faithfulness, God used him, and he was blessed. Maybe not at that moment, but he was blessed. So if we wait and do it God's way, we'll be blessed. Amen? Amen? And look at the flip side. David, the fiasco found in 2 Samuel 11, 2-4. It says, One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messages to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now listen, the sin was not passing by and seeing her bathing. The sin was when all of a sudden it was like, he fixed his focus on her, and she was beautiful. Now, I don't know if they have curtains at the time, but Bathsheba should have closed the curtain, all right? But he calls her. Now, you've got to understand, David had concubines. He had wives, okay? And then he invites this woman up, and he sleeps with her. This is the wife of one of his mighty men. She was married. He knew that. He was the king of Israel, and he knew the scriptures. But he slept with her. And there were consequences, serious consequences. Death, rape, murder, and rebellion came to David's household. There were consequences for sinful actions. And it was more so because he was the king of Israel. Well, excuse me, but I think we're called kings and priests, are we not? We're supposed to represent Jesus Christ. So if we fall into these kinds of things, the Lord will chastise us. The Lord will discipline us. Amen? As I said before, think of the consequences before acting on your sin, and you may avoid a myriad, a myriad of undesirable consequences. Yes? Think before you do or say something, because there are usually consequences, good or bad. All right. Got it? We got it on that subject? 
But family, as we discussed when we opened this morning, there's more to what Jesus is saying here. It's not just the physical act. It's the heart issue. And it can go beyond the married and to the singles, if you will. And let me state it firmly again. The intimate relationship, sex, that God ordained is reserved for the marriage and that marriage he instituted is between a man and a woman, period. Everything else will fall under the guise of sexual immorality. Listen to Hebrews 13.4 again. Right? For God will judge the adulterer and all, A-L-L, all the sexually immoral. And I want to address this because the society that we live in today and the damage that's being done to our society, our families, and our children through the proliferation of immorality and the perversion of God's institution of marriage and that precious gift that he's given to us. Listen to this. Let me address this discussion on sexuality with some very bold statements. Today in the United States, we live in a cesspool of immorality. Do you hear me? You've you got to be blind and deaf not to see what's going on. Immorality, sensuality, sexuality, perversion, and infidelity run rampant through our culture and our society. Permeate our TV shows, our commercials, our movies, our magazines, legislative decisions, and are easily accessible in phones, tablets, and computers. When Job said, I make a covenant with my eyes, those women were working around in burkas. Can you imagine if he was alive today? He'd have a heart attack. Seriously. And I believe that if archaeologists look back on our culture of the United States in the latter part of the 20th century and 21st century, they would say that we're a society obsessed and driven by sensuality and sexuality. I already gave you the statistics about adultery, but just listen to some of these trends in our nation. Pregnancy among unwed mothers has steadily increased even with all the birth control measures. As a result, so are the amount of terminated pregnancies. And something that grieved me, and I, a candidate should say, is that uh, when we, Joni was at the conference, we went to a conference on, on uh, termination of pregnancies and said that, I guess it was 2017, more African-American babies in New York were aborted than were born. To me, that's genocide. So when they talk about prejudice and everything, who's being prejudiced? The ones that are trying to promote the salvation of life or the ones who are not? All right? But that's a pretty scary thing, that more children were aborted than were born. Right, and if we keep putting uh, those in office, and um, excuse me, I don't mean to get political, that support these practices, where's the church? Where's the church? Who's our first love? Is Jesus our first love? Then how can we support a candidate, a political party, or a social agenda? If he's our first love, then his agenda has to be our agenda. Amen? And they need to hear that throughout the churches. All right. Let's go on. Premarital sex is commonplace. It's the accepted practice among teens and young adults. And research indicates that one-fifth of our youth lose their virginity at early teenage years. And when it gets to college, that number spikes. Growing up, there was never a phrase. T, did you ever hear this phrase, friends with benefits? Never heard such a thing. Oh, we just sleep together, but we're just friends. Huh? Insane. There was nothing like that 40 years ago, 30 years ago. All right? And listen to this disturbing fact about STDs, the Center for Disease Control, estimates there are approximately 20 million new STD infections each year, almost half of them among kids 15 to 24. And it cost the U.S. healthcare system $16 billion. I was talking to Theresa about this. Could you imagine how healthcare costs come down if people would stop 
illicit sexual activity, use of tobacco, use of alcohol, and use of drugs. Think about all the medical costs that would just go <laughs> heart attacks, cancer, you name it, right? But that's another story. And family, this onslaught has actually breached the walls of the church. Survey shows that 40% of youths in Bible-believing churches were sexually active and 60% of young adults. Scary. That's the churches because there's no fear of the Lord anymore. There's no understanding of how important this relationship between a man and a woman is and the gift of sex. And now our nation, we're seeing legislation and laws passed to support alternate lifestyles. Candidates touting that they're for alternate lifestyles. Again, family, intimacy and sex is reserved for God's marriage bed in his creative order between... As I said already, sex is sex in any or all its various forms. And it's called sexual immorality, and God says you will judge it. So if you're a young adult or you're a teenager in this room and you want to flirt and get into an area that God abhors, you're setting yourself up for some bad stuff. You hear me? Listen to these verses, because it's not a joke. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11, then 18-20. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, will inherit the kingdom of God. He's talking about a lifestyle here, a complete disregard for the principles of God's word. So if you're involved in that lifestyle and think you can take it lightly, you're fooling yourself. Because you can fool men, you can fool your parents, you can fool your spouse, but you can't fool God. And if you carry on in that lifestyle, there'll be a judgment to come. And I hate to sound harsh, but it's the truth. All right? And as we go on, it says this. And that's what some of you were. So listen, here's the good news of this. Many of us got saved later in life, and we may have been involved in some of the activities, but it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. When we ask God to forgive us and we put those lives and lifestyles behind us, whether it's sex, whether it's alcoholism, whether, whatever it is, it's covered under the blood of Jesus Christ and we're forgiven. And we don't have to feel the guilt or burden. And even for those who have terminated pregnancies, it's, it, you're forgiven and under the blood of Jesus Christ and it's not going to be brought up again before the throne of God. Amen? Because look what it says. You were washed, you were sanctified, justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. We are justified when we put our faith in Christ, just as if we've never sinned. We're sanctified and set apart to him. And in verse 18, it goes on, it says, Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Bought with a price. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Why would we want to get involved in an activity that joins us to someone who is immoral or improper? We offend God. And listen to 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 5. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, set apart, not to be like the world. We're to be God's people and apply His principles and commands. Amen? That you avoid sexual immorality. That each of you should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. People may know of God, but if they're not filled with the Spirit of God, they don't know God. But as Christians, we are called to be holy as he is holy. Then Ephesians 5, 3-7, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality, any kind of impurity of greed, because these are improper for God's holy peer, uh, people. 
Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which is out of place. And what I got out of this is, don't even let your speech get you into a place where people think that you would get involved in something that is immoral. Amen? Let your speech be proper. But rather, there should be thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, greedy person, such a person as idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. I know there are pastors out there that people in their congregation, young adults, are living together and they're sleeping together. It needs to be addressed. He's leading them right to the gates of hell. Shame on that man or woman who's doing that. It talks against that. And I know it's, it's just a tough subject because the, the country we live in. Look at this, last line. For because of such things, God's wrath is coming on those who are disobedient. We don't want the wrath of God to fall on our young adults or our children or even upon our homes. So we obey God's word. It says, therefore, don't even be partners with them. So youngsters or adults, if someone's luring you into a relationship that is illicit, don't even be partners with them. Get away. Get away. Flee, as the word says. And this last statement here, Ephesians, that don't be partners with them, actually leads us to sum up Jesus' last words that we saw in our opener reading. If your eye, eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one. Now please understand, Jesus is not suggesting self-mutilation. Do we understand? He's using hyperbole here. Because our body parts are not the problem. They're just the instruments. It's what's in our hearts. So what do you do? Rip your heart out? All right? So it's what's in our hearts and what's entertained in our minds. This is where it needs to uh, happen. We need to change what's going on in our hearts. And the only way that can happen is by putting our faith in Christ because we become new creations with new hearts. Amen? That's where it has to start. All right? And it doesn't work. If you look up a founding father, Origen was his name. He was wrestling with this idea of immorality. He used to flog himself. And he finally ended up castrating himself. But that doesn't work because you know what? In your heart and in your mind, those things still happen. So it's not cutting off a physical limb or gouging out his eyes. He's saying it's got to change at the heart level. But here's what he is talking about, using hyperbole. He's stating this. We need to deal with these issues uh, presented, adultery and sexual immorality, immediately, thoroughly, and decisively. We have to purpose to be prudent before God and obey his word in these areas. To apply the biblical principles Lean on the power of the Holy Spirit and use wisdom and practical application. Practical application. He's emphatic. The Lord is emphatic. Making any sacrifice necessary to pursue sexual purity. Since the consequences of this kind of sin are temporal and eternal. And if that means cutting off a relationship with somebody, so be it. Better to please God than to please men or women. So how do we go about this? And again, it starts with a faith in Christ. You got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Listen, especially guys, we can't do this in our flesh. We need the power of the Holy Spirit within us. We need to lean on the word of God and trust him. Amen. And then we got to take the principles and apply them. And as we saw in the intro to the Beatitudes, we got a hunger for righteousness. We got a hunger for God. Amen. It says thirst, hunger for righteousness. Sin has to be abhorrent to us as Christians. 
It should be abhorrent because we know the price that was paid. Do we want to trample under the blood of Jesus? Absolutely not. But let me give you some practical applications, outward actions that can help support the inward work of the Spirit. Avoid certain situations. Don't let them progress. If all of you sudden you're married and you see someone else on the job here or there starting to get a little flirtatious, cut it off and just stand on the fact, I'm married. And if they don't take the hint, cut off the relationship, okay? All right, got it? Very practical, but common sense, all right? And don't substitute another person for your, besides your spouse for your emotional or physical needs, Amen? Even if the spouse is Attila or Mrs. Attila, we are answerable to the Lord for how we handled and were obedient to his word. Amen? And if single, single, listen carefully. Song of Solomon gives us some great insight. Chapter 8, verse 4. It says, Daughters of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not arouse or awaken love until it comes to be. It so desires. Singles, don't stir up things that could possibly lead to the next level because it may be too late and the flesh be too enticing and you find yourself in a situation where you're doing thus and such. It's too late. Don't stir up that love until it's time where there is a, basically an engagement period, if you will, a recording period, and you're looking at long term before you get seriously involved with somebody. And I'm not talking about premarital sex before marriage, but that you wait and get intimately involved with somebody when you know that's the right person. Does it mean we can't have friends? Does it mean we can't go out with people? Of course not. Movies, etc. but don't get into that intimate situation. Because there are a couple of culprits here. And I know my pastor would talk about this lasciviousness, and it means to stir up central interest or desire in someone else. And I think the biggest problem in this area is our attitude towards sex in our country. It's okay. If you love somebody, it's okay. It's not. In the eyes of God, he says, you have to wait till you're married or you're going to create some problems for yourself. One of them being a judgment of God himself. All right? The second culprit is the way we dress. Sorry, but I have to address it. Kids, adults, Dress prudently. Dress appropriately. You can still look beautiful. Every time my wife walks into the church on a Sunday, I don't see her because I get up earlier, she looks beautiful. And she's dressed appropriately. But I still think she's a knockout, all right? We can dress appropriately and still look attractive. But string bikinis and speedos are out for the Christian, all righty? The last thing you want to do is see some old guy in a speedo. I'm, oh, I got to tell a story. I'm sorry. I remember the time, church function. We go to field six to play volleyball, and there's two guys in these Speedo things. It was like, oh, gross. <laughs> Heaven forbid. So we have to wait. We have to really dress prudently, all right, and not lure somebody else into desiring. Men are visual, ladies. If you wear certain things, it's going to make them look. And Not that we shouldn't, you know, be looking too long, but be prudent. Let's be like Job, guys. Make a covenant with our eyes that we may not look lustfully on a woman. All righty? All right. And I have another thing here. Avoid places that stir up temptation. If you're an alcoholic, don't go to a bar. Me personally, I don't go to the beach for multiple reasons. I hate sand in my toes and in other places it doesn't belong. I can't sit for more than 10 minutes. I hate the heat, so why go to the beach? So it's a blessing. It's a blessing. 
And again, I remember the time we went with the boys, remember? And who sits down in front of us? Two young people with string bikinis. And my boys like, hee, 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 hee. I'm like, all right, let's go. And then purpose before God to practice God's gift of intimacy. And may I say the word sex according to his prescribed plan. It's within the marriage between a man and a woman, period. That's God's plan. That's his plan. Church, as we conclude, please listen carefully. I am soaking wet up here. Especially in the over-sexualized, over-sexualized and perverse culture we live in, sexual purity and fidelity are important aspects in the Christian life because they're God's word to do it his way. Amen? I'm going to quote from one of my, probably the favorite, my most favorite book in the Bible, Romans 6, verse 13. It says this, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Ready? And offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Our minds, our eyes, our body parts, everything should be offered to him to be holy as he is holy. Amen? Praise God. It's very simple, church. Adultery and sexual morality are destructive, whether it be to an individual, the marriage, the family, and societies of a whole. God has entrusted to humankind a wonderful institution that represents him. Read Ephesians 5. The marriage is a reflection of Christ in the church. The way he loved us and we love him is how that's supposed to be in the marital relationship. Amen? It's a covenant relationship. We'll get to that next week. All righty? He has blessed this relationship also with a wonderful form of intimacy. So let us honor him, his solemn institution, and others made in his image by living according to his words in these areas, therefore enjoying both the temporal blessings of it and the eternal blessings that come from obedience. Amen? Listen, I am soaking wet because this is a tough subject to breach, but the Lord desires from his people to be... uh, pure in the marriage relationship and to be pure in our walk with him prior to marriage. His word is very adamant about what we're supposed to do. Those things are saved for the marriage itself, okay? So adultery and sexual immorality go against God. They're sins against God. So I pray it's a tough subject, but in the world today, we need to hear it. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your guidance. Lord, we thank you that we are indwelt by your Spirit, that we can walk in the Spirit and crucify the flesh. Lord God, you have, from the beginning, when Adam and Eve were created, you ordained the marriage institution between a man and a woman. And you left the intimacy within that framework, Lord, that children could be born, my God. You made it pleasurable, Lord. But Lord, it's within that framework that it should be practiced. Almighty God, I pray that you would protect our marriages, that husbands would love their wives as Christ loved the church, Lord, that wives would respect their husbands, and Lord, that that intimacy of emotional intimacy, physical intimacy should be saved within that relationship. And Lord, for our singles, that they would keep themselves pure, Lord, understanding that your word is very adamant about all forms of sexual immorality, and there's no wiggle room, that you would watch over our young adults, our teenagers, Lord God, 
our children as they're being inundated in the school system with all things that are perverse and against your word. Watch over our families, we pray. And Lord God, we just thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.